Welcome to Crosslink Community Church Podcast, where we prize Jesus, make disciples, and love people well. We are so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe you will be more acquainted with the heartbeat of God through today's message. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Good evening. It is good to see you. Uh, We... uh, we have just to let you know, remind you, some of you already figured it out. There are cookies at your tables. If you didn't get a table and you got a chair that was set up for you and you didn't get any cookies, just take it from the table in front of you. There's plenty to go around. I don't want to take too long tonight because our goal is to get you out of here uh, within the hour-ish. Uh, so it's still, it's still my goal, but I, I feel like I think I need to answer a couple questions. The first question is, why is he the gift that we need? And then why is he worthy of it all? I feel like if we answer that question here t- tonight, then, then what happens is we'll leave here celebrating how whatever your kind of normal traditions are, as you leave here, you celebrate tonight, maybe tomorrow, maybe you have like the next four days planned out or someone planned them out for you. I, I don't know. But either way, that maybe you'll be able to continue to unwrap the true presence of Christmas, and that's Jesus. That maybe it'll cause you just to talk about him a little bit more as you leave this place. We started a series that we will conclude tonight. Um, and that series is called Christmas with the Samaritans. I know if you have not been a part of uh, the church past couple of weeks, this may be a little surprise, like non-traditional. It, it is. Um, and, and I'd like to just point out um, the reason why we did this is because Jesus reveals through um, two Samaritans, and, and then our story tonight, uh, why he is the gift for humanity. And if we're going to celebrate why Jesus came, why he was born, why he came, I think it's important to see him as the gift that he, that he is. Um, giving gifts to your kids, especially when they're younger, is a lot of fun. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you're at that age when they're really young. You, you start to learn a lot about your kids at that, that age by what they ask for, by what they do with the gift when you give it to them, they are typically brutally honest. Uh, they will let you know if they like what it is you got them or, or if, they, if they don't. One of the things that I, I, I realized is that, um, I, so I, I'm not supposed to name names up here when it comes to my children. Uh, I, I get in trouble. So I'm going to try and do my best to share this without sharing any names. I'll let you know I have three boys and a one girl, and they're amazing kids. I love them. Um, and when they were younger, like, like really young, I loved going to the store during this time of the year to buy presents for them. I loved it. Uh, because, because that's just, I love to give them things and I love to see kind of, kind of their response when they, when they open those gifts. And so I, I, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, what I did realize though, when you have three boys, the gifts that you give them don't last very long. Boys typically tend to break whatever it is you gave them by sundown Christmas day. And you're like, well, that was, I can't do that again. Uh, and so you, you have to figure it out. The, the other thing that you realize when you give gifts to your kids is kind of their personality, kind of their makeup, what they like, what they enjoy. And I, I, I remember this, and I had to ask my wife, so I had my stories and facts right. Um, but um, within my, my boys, um, 
one of them started to have an affinity for or an enjoyment for or liking to the villains of the story. And so how most kids would ask for like a superhero, whatever, for Christmas, he really liked the villains. And I had to like time out, set, you know, quiet parent meeting aside and say, hey, is this right? Like, is this normal? Are kids supposed to like villains? Like, should we be worried? Is he going to turn out okay? He must have got this from you. Uh, either way, like you had that kind of conversation. Like, I don't understand. Like, why do you like, why do you like villains? This is going to turn badly later. And so you start to figure that out. And, and I bring that to your attention for this. The unfortunate reality is that we tend to approach Scripture laying out the heroes and the villains. And then we kind of place ourselves in that story where we think that we fit. And the Americanized Christianity, unfortunately, we have put ourselves in the hero part of the story. We don't identify with the broken, with the hurting, with the lowly, with the sinful, with the struggling. We, we tend to read through this, especially if we're having a pretty good week, pretty good year. We're like, man, this is, this is me. I'm, I'm the good guy in this story. You're definitely the bad guy. And so we tend to read scriptures that way. And I'm here to tell you there's actually only one hero. One. And his name is Jesus. And when we rightly look at God's words that way, then what it does is let you and I know that he's the hero, I'm not. He's the savior, I'm not. In fact, I'm the one who needs to be saved. And knowing that actually presents so much freedom. So I'm going to take you to a text that I would guarantee, even if you have not been in church, uh, it's a text that you will be all familiar with. So I'm just going to spend a little bit of time here, and then we will sing and do our candlelight and leave. Uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse, verse 25. This is what it says. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, um, what is it written in the law? How, how, do you, how do you read it? And he answered, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, I, I bring this to our attention because I think it brings to the surface one of the aches of the human heart. And I don't know what you've walked through in December or in November or in October or this year, but one of the aches, the low-grade knot in the human heart is this can't be it. If you've walked through any kind of pain and suffering, if you've walked through loss, if you've walked through families being kind of torn apart, you eventually come to the point where your heart breaks and you're like, this can't be it. This can't be all it's supposed to be. Three-year-olds aren't supposed to get cancer. My family's not supposed to be struggling or hurting. God, if you are good, if you are right, why does it feel like everything around me is falling apart? There is a low ache in the human heart that says there has to be something more. And this lawyer stood up 
And he says, hey, hey, Jesus, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Meaning, what do I need to do to get to the place where life doesn't hurt the way it does right now? What do I need to do in order for life as it is to end so life as it should be should begin? And so he stands up and he asks this question. And Jesus says, what's the law say? And he repeats a familiar passage to us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and then your neighbor as yourself. To which the lawyer's response should be impossible. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it is impossible to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, strength, and soul. You can try, but if you're anything like me, you probably get ADD and something else gets your attention. You try hard and life throws a curveball your way and you're like, ah. And you sidestep. But this lawyer found himself to kind of deflect that response to then ask this question. Verse 29 says this, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, okay, who then is my, my neighbor? Meaning, who then should I love? Who then should I treat as my, myself? And Jesus replied with this, this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, now by chance, a priest was going down that road and he saw him and passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who this lawyer would have despised, not liked, a Samaritan, as as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then then he set on uh, him on his own animal and brought him into an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And so Jesus asked the lawyer this question, which one of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And of course, he answered the way we all would, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now, my issue with this story, my issue with this parable is, (coughs) excuse me, uh, that we have turned it to be about doing good things. In fact, the operating phrase for most of us is when Jesus says, go and do likewise. And so we create ministries out of this idea of be the good Samaritan. 
We've placed ourselves in this story in such a way where uh, it's kind of lost a little bit of its meaning. And so what I would like to do in four and a half minutes, give or take a few, is maybe teach, teach this parable the way it was taught back in ancient Christianity before we have maybe made it all about just go and do the right thing. Because I don't know about you, but I've tried to just do the right thing and I struggle. Anyone? And if the answer we're trying to get from the question that was posed is how do I get eternal life? I have a problem with it just resulting in go and be a good person. Because if loving your neighbor and caring for the physical conditions of those around us is what makes Christ or Christianity different from living a moral and ethical life, then what are we doing? There has to be something different. To heed the command, go and do likewise, we must look beneath the surface to what Jesus means by this directive e entirely. In, in fact, um, we know that through seeing Jesus throughout the rest of the Gospels, that tending to our neighbor's spiritual condition is actually more vital than his physical condition. Meaning, from this side of the cross, we understand that loving our neighbor isn't just helping them out of poverty or sickness or suffering, but it is presenting them with the gospel that Jesus can and wants to heal their hearts and rescue their soul. There has to be something more going on within this allegory, this parable that Jesus is teaching to let you and I know that it's not just about me helping my neighbor, but it's about me responding to the help given to me through Jesus. So to take heed to this command, we must answer the question, how does this text deal with the spiritual condition of humanity who is caring for the physical condition. Because the offering of spiritual redemption is needed in order to fully love our neighbor. So let me just point you to this again. But he, desiring to be justified, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds, well, as a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who was stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. That maybe this story, this parable, isn't about us trying to do the right thing with those who are hurting, but us identifying with the one who was hurting. That maybe us in this story, if, if I may, is not the good Samaritan. Maybe that's not you and I. Maybe that's not even the meaning or the full meaning of this parable. Maybe you and I are, uh, are, is the one lying on the road, half dead, naked, and suffering. And that we are the ones in need of rescuing. 
And so if I could re-identify for us for a moment that maybe this way was taught in ancient Christianity is that Jerusalem is similar to paradise and Jericho being the lowest city at that time would have been the descent towards hell. And that in this particular text, what's going on is that humanity was on their descent from paradise with God now because of sin entering into the world on their way to Jericho, found themselves beaten and half naked, laying on the road in need of rescuing. And that in this rescuing, Jesus himself steps off of his throne to be the one that we need because we couldn't rescue ourselves. Here's, here's why I have a love-hate relationship for Christmas. I love Christmas. But, but we've only made it about a baby who's innocent without any offense. And what Jesus came to do was to confront you and I that we cannot rescue ourselves. And if you live life long enough, then what ends up happening is you realize I can't rescue myself. My spouse can't rescue me. My children can't rescue me. I can't do enough good to outweigh my bad. So what do I do? This is, this is what I think. If I could just read this to you that I think is going on in this parable as we celebrate Christmas. Maybe Christmas is celebrating the gift of heaven, God's gift to humanity. Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, beginning the journey from Jerusalem down the treacherous path to Jericho to rescue and redeem humanity. Humanity robbed and stripped by sin and Satan was left half dead and their descent on their descent to, to Jericho unable to help themselves with the law and prophets. You know the two guys that get the bad rap? The priest and the Levite? We're told in the story, don't be like them. Be the good Samaritan. Maybe the priest and Levite represent something else. Maybe the priest represents the law that couldn't actually fully rescue humanity. And maybe Levite re represents the prophets that couldn't fully rescue humanity. And so even as they were on their way, and if you notice, as they were going down by chance, they weren't prepared. So they're just on their way, happened to see this guy, that maybe it's not that they didn't want to help, but they couldn't. Isn't it interesting that the things that we turn to so often to help us actually terminate on themselves? I guarantee you there's some of us in this room who have tried to find help and satisfaction in things that leave us broken. And we're more dead than we started off. And the problem is it brings a little bit of vitality in the moment, but what ends up happening is it terminates on itself and leaves us wounded all the more. So even in this event with this priest and this Levite, maybe they represent the law and the prophets that pointed to the one who was coming but actually couldn't save the one on the road. So the law and prophets being incapable of completing the total work of redemption needed, maybe humanity was just left for dead, waiting on the one who was prepared for the rescue. 
Jesus, typified by the Samaritan, has compassion for and bends a knee to rescue this half-dead, naked, suffering man. He pours out wine on his wounds, maybe representing his blood, curing our wounds that sin and Satan has left us with, laying this man on his animal to be carried to the end. Jesus carries our pain, burden, shame, and guilt, and he goes to the cross for our sins, being the substitute we needed to be atoned. Then he drops the man off at an inn, the church, to finish the healing and restoration, paying for everything until, I don't know if you saw it, but he says, when I come back again. Now, the interesting thing about this phrase is that it's only used one other time in Luke chapter 19, and that's when Jesus is talking about when he comes back again, his second coming. So so if I could just set it straight for us tonight, that Jesus is the gift that came from heaven as a baby to live a perfect sinless life because we couldn't. We were dead, naked, sinful on the side of the road in need of being rescued. And that this parable is letting you and I know that Christmas is found not in Matthew at the beginning, not in Luke at the beginning, but throughout all of Scripture that the plan was Jesus was going to come and rescue humanity. And he was the only one prepared to do so. He's the one who had the oil and the wine. He's the one that had the animal. He's the one that took the time and compassion and put this guy on the animal to take him to the end. So I wonder, instead of inserting us in the story of the Good Samaritan, maybe we should let it breathe for a moment to remind you and I that if it wasn't for Jesus, we would still be lying on the side of the road, broken, naked, and hurting. And I don't think it's taught enough. I think what we want to do is say, hey, you can have your best life now. Try harder, do better. I don't know if January 1, I don't know if January 1 is going to allow life to be generous enough to us to have our best life now. To be honest, January's haven't been too promising. But what I do know is that we celebrate Christmas because the gift of heaven came down to show compassion for you and I who were broken. What? I don't, I don't know what you came in here with. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if you're just going through the motions. I don't know if you just came in here to hear the Christmas story. But what I need to tell you is that Jesus Christ is the gift of Christmas then and now. That Jesus Christ has not stopped saving and he won't stop saving. That Jesus Christ has the ability to rescue and redeem your heart no matter how far it's wandered. That no matter how many times you try to clean yourself up, Jesus is the only one who can make you whole. He's the only one who can satisfy your soul. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes just for a moment. We always offer communion for this time, for this night. And I think maybe it's to remind, remind us that we can't do this alone. 
that we can't do this without Jesus, that Jesus is a reason we are here. He's a reason our hearts can be redeemed. He's a reason why lives can be restored and marriages redeemed. He's a reason for this season and everyone. And so I don't know if you're going to be celebrating Christmas after losing a loved one, after struggling through life. But I'm here to tell you that this story of the Good Samaritan points to a gracious, loving, merciful Savior who came into this world to rescue and redeem us even though we didn't deserve it. Even though we couldn't help ourselves, even though we couldn't clean ourselves up, Jesus bent his knee to rescue and redeem this man, this man and you and I. And he does it by going to the cross. He does it by giving up his life and breath for you and I. So I, I don't know if church is where you frequent, but we do have at your table bread and juice that as they lead us in this next song, will allow you the time to respond by way of taking that bread and that juice and reflection of what Jesus has done for you. I can't think of a better night than to celebrate the goodness of Jesus for rescuing and redeeming us. So I'm going to pray. After I pray at your time, at your pace, they will sing a song and we have bread and we have juice available at your table. Father, we thank you. We thank you for showing us and revealing to us in your scriptures that you are ever faithful. And you show your faithfulness by sending your son to rescue and redeem us who are broken and fallen. Father, forgive us for the times that we have turned our eyes away from you. Forgive us for the times we've tried to do this thing on our own. Remind us this season, remind us now during this song, in this service, that you are worthy of it all. worthy of our time, worthy of our commitment, worthy of our praise, worthy of saying thank you for doing what we could not do for ourselves. I thank you for doing what the law and the prophets couldn't do. Thank you for doing what it is we couldn't do. Thank you for saving us through your perfect life, your atoning death, and reminding us of your power as you stepped out of that grave. Father, remind the hearts in this room that they are greatly loved by you. So loved that even as they are wandering, you're pursuing. So loved that even while we're hurting, you show compassion. 
let us know tonight. Let us know tonight of the goodness that's found in your son, Jesus. Father, as we take this bread, as we drink this juice, let it be a reminder of your blood applied. And let us just respond in an overflow of worship of saying thank you for all that you have done. We love you. Thank you for listening to Crosslink Community Church Podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.crosslinkchurch.com or join us in person on Sunday mornings at 1020 a.m. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single message and share with a friend. Thank you again for listening.